Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you ready? Are you ready for wrestle culture? This is new. My name is Phil Chambers, and I'm joined by <laughs> both of the Michaels. There's no Wilborn again. Two weeks in a row. Um, but before we get into talking about all the things that's happened during the week, I've forgotten we even do a song. I'm just going to skip it. That's a Wilborn thing. Why not? Um, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcast from. Because we do daily wrestling podcasts. We do wrestling podcasts about Raw, wrestling podcasts about SmackDown, wrestling podcasts about NXT, wrestling podcasts about AW, wrestling podcasts that are roundtable discussions, wrestling podcasts that are interviews, including one with Everrise coming out this weekend, and wrestling podcasts that are rounds up of the week, which is exactly what this is. So here we are. We've had another big week in wrestling, obviously, but a couple of big returns. So let's start with talking about Alistair Black returning. From his 30-day no-compete, because WWE forgot to put him on a 90-day one, uh, and being Malachi Black in AEW. Thoughts, everyone? Well, it's good that you've led with this, because you haven't really forgotten, Phil, to do a song. Because what's happened, you're not not unprofessional uh, or suggestive (laughs) or anything like that. that. (laughs) It can't be that. What's happened is the song that we choose for WrestleCulture is something related to what's happened in the week. And the big story is... Alistair Black, Tommy End, Malachi Black has debuted in AEW, and he got really sing a song right, relating to Alistair Black because he's in the like mad black metal and death metal and all this guttural war stuff. So it'll be unless oh, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that on the podcast because it's a, it's unlistenable noise. Um, yeah, I had a bit of a not an existential crisis. Maybe a little bit of a home truth here talk because when Malachi Black, who I've been burying for two years, debuted on AEW, like, it's good this. Very, very good this. I'm not being funny. Like, it was a really hot debut. Like, they'd done something with real thought to, like, elevate a cliche with the idea. And this is where I am, in fact, biased. Didn't they <laughs> metaphorically put over the idea that he's a bit of a disturbance? That's not supernatural powers, nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not lame, it's not cringe, it's, it's a metaphor. Definitely a metaphor. Like, here's the thing. Broadly, they should hire anyone from WWE that WWE hasn't got the best out of, who's a clearly marketable and super talented, super talented performer. So yes, they absolutely should bring in Malachi Black, even if I probably wouldn't, because I don't want to see any overt supernatural stuff on my favourite wrestling TV show. But he's class. He's, he's so good in the ring. Like everything he does looks awesome. Fast, agile, technical. With his kickboxing background, everything looks totally legit. He does things in the spaces between moves that like convey that he's got a real presence and an aura. He's actually quite terrifying. Maybe there is an absolutely phenomenal version of Tommy End, the TV character. I don't even know if I got it in NXT, to be honest. Um, aesthetically it's not quite my thing and you know I like entertaining things and Alistair Black's particular character I find very poor-faced and miserable and serious and a bit cringe but <laughs> I will await being impressed um, but everything AEW's done so far when they've flirted with the supernatural ugh. yeah ugh. absolutely I take it you both saw the sort of Malachi black video that he put up oh my god that's better media. for wrestle that's better for wrestle culture i'm gonna bury that and then i'll bury it as well wasn't <laughs> like he invited a lot of piss taking in the immediate aftermath of his wwe release and that kind of 
Well, put, I didn't relent when he uploaded his own video, put it like that. Like I was half expecting him like two days after the Dynamite series, but like, you'll notice in my last Twitch stream, I had an American flag in the background. That was foreshadowing that I was going to attack Cody. Like the, <laughs> I, the, all the stuff was so on the nose. And look, I have, we're talking about pro wrestling, loads of it's on the nose. It's not that I have a problem with broad messaging. I have a problem with broad messaging that thinks it's not broad messaging. And that summed up my views on the Alistair Black Insane Asylum stuff. Like, I can only hope, and there is some precedent to suggest that, like, AEW will give performers a little, and then, you know, whether or not we're speaking of Tony Khan or one of the other VPs, if it's not to their taste or there's a certain backlash, and the Dark Order always springs to mind, but there is other examples. If there's a certain backlash to something from, like, a large enough portion of the audience, they'll pull that rope in a little bit. And I guess you've got to have that little bit of give and take when somebody debuts, like Malachi Black has turned the lights on and off. But I would like, it's funny to think of him having access to the main switch of the building. But aside from that, I would genuinely rather he knew where the switch in the building was than imagine it was magic powers. Like I would rather exist in that, like the, like he exists in that universe than some sort of Bray Wyatt adjacent one. So yeah, the the video, which I didn't go looking for, that appeared on Twitter before he, on somehow on my timeline, before he debuted for AEW. So the algorithms were doing their thing. They were making you think about him. They were kind of like putting him at the front of your mind before AEW showed you. Did the hacker? Maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe <laughs> he's still a hacker. But it, yeah, so all that felt kind of coordinated. I wouldn't necessarily say it was for the best. I'd rather keep separate the Malachi Black I saw on Wednesday and the guy we had on in that vignette. But Excalibur's explanation of who he was suggests to me that those two things maybe are supposed to be linked. Don't know. It's why I think we're kind of, the praise is all a bit hesitant because I just think he's given a little bit too much of himself away in this period that he's been gone from WWE. Has it only been 30 days? Because from all the tweets, I feel like it's been 90. Like... I've had more of Alistair Black than I ever wanted in this last month. So I'm kind of trying to give him the clean slate because for a change, AEW got a debut right. Like the lights came on and that reaction was huge. It wasn't complete silence and Excalibur having to do the heavy lifting. Oh my God, it's Japanese Deathmatch legend Luther. <laughs> <laughs> like the, it's Uncle Fester. Like, yeah. like this was a massive step forward in terms of an AEW debut. So I tried to take the positive from that and now we'll see... Cody's a serious guy. Cody's not going to piss about with magic. Like, I want to have faith in that match. I bought that instantly as a pay-per-view match. So they've got me on the hook. Like, don't take me off in the four to six weeks you've got to build it. Yeah. I you probably thought... take yourself as seriously as always. Like, what's your crack on supernatural stuff in wrestling? I, well, I don't, I don't know. My opinion has very much changed over the course of me being a wrestling fan because I got into wrestling specifically because of the Undertaker Kane Mankind storyline like that was the first thing that ever grabbed my attention like in 97 that kind of era um so that's what dragged me in so but like now with all the stuff that's happening with Bray Wyatt and Alex Bliss and like even down to Alistair Black and stuff I never it's not been anything that I've really connected with or like you're, you're not a non-sorry thing <laughs> <laughs> you're not a non-sorry so thing that's the thing so you're probably not going to enjoy Alexa Bliss I'm, I'm not either so I don't like it um Look, I just want to bury the psychiatric hospital. Like, what hack stuff that is. Uh, the easiest hack. It was all in his more. mind. It's, and, uh, it's, like, it's literally the... It's basically, oh. I woke up one day and it was a dream as a way yeah, of getting out it's of basically, it. How do you feel about him continuing the I thing into AEW? Because obviously that was like a weird throwaway part of someone else's storyline almost in WWE. Well, if that's real, does that not mean he literally killed a man? <laughs> I know. <laughs> If that's real, then that has to be real too, doesn't it? Yeah. So as he's heard voices in his head that are so cruel and so loud and so relentless that he's like hurt his own eye in this version of the story because he was on a podcast I really can't uh, drinks with Jimmy or Johnny, and he was explaining drinks with Jimmy. I don't mean to be like honestly, it's like it's a very high profile thing. I don't mean to take the piss. Because drinks with Johnny is fine, just Jimmy is for whatever reason funny to get wrong. Like, don't be more professional than this. I'm not burying it. I'm really not. I, I'm really not. Apologies. Just Jimmy's a funny uh, word, isn't it? Just it's a funny thing. <laughs> sorry. So sorry. Anyway, he was on drinks with Jimmy, and he was giving a bit of the backstory of the character. 
and um, he is trying to apply some continuity to everything. And the idea is in his head, and I don't think I'm telling because I don't think they gave it to us, but in his head, Tommy End all along in WWE was possessed by the devil, hence the Alistair Black character. And now that the WWE run on the main roster, at least, because he was great in NXT in the ring, was such a disaster that he's trying to retcon it because he really seems to care about his fan base and how they ought to receive this character, my persona, my acting. So I just, I know because he said it, Alistair Black was possessed by the devil was Tommy end possessed by the devil in WWE. But to explain the fact that, I don't want a bit rubbish, um, he's actually spent the last five years thinking all of that happened, but in reality, he was in a psychiatric hospital. Uh, the eye thing is a continuation of that, I guess. Look, it's funny, as many people have pointed out on Twitter, he gives more of a toss about WWE continuity than WWE. I personally think he should get his priorities right. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds people of that run of the summer of 2020 in the performance center. Like, I want a visual reminder of that, you idiot. Um, look, at the very least, the man is very much thinking and putting some thought into his character and his run. And if there's an audience for that, absolutely fair enough. Am I that person? No. How do you see his running AEW going then? If he's debuting in with Cody, it's, I mean, you can't ask for a better sort of first. Um, first feud to go into. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're interested in this, my in-depth um, thoughts on Malachi Black on Sunday, make sure you subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from, because me and uh, Adam Wilborn are doing a get the table on that very, very subject. So I will hand over to Hamflet. I mean, I don't really want to top that sweet plug, but ultimately quite well. Um, I was the same as Cedric as relates to his NXT thing. I wasn't moved particularly by the character, but I think like I, as well, like, I saw him wrestle live a couple of times and I was genuinely impressed. Like, I know that sounds really patronizing because obviously he had this like pretty rich legacy as like an independent star. People loved and talked about Tommy End in a way that when I finally saw him, I was like, oh, is that, I, don't, I don't know why, like they kind of like elevated him to like a, a, another level and maybe what I expected, but he really did win me over. And that was in, like, I, I wouldn't say that was like the peak era of NXT or anything, but it was like a well-booked show. Um, AW is a better book show than that version of NXT was. So I've got a lot of faith in that. Like I say, like, this was a great debut. Regardless of who he's paired against, they've fixed the Dark Order, they've fixed Miro and countless others. I have no doubt that, like, they'll... The only concern is the fact that, like, the Cody match is great, but sometimes Cody opponents struggle to, like, come out of a, a Cody feud and momentum. Makes me think he's got to beat him. Makes me think he's got to perhaps be different to a lot of the rest and get the big win over Cody as a way to get him started rather than kind of taking that L that so many people do and then like phasing, like fading back into the mid card. It's really hard for a character with any powers beyond man to grab a hold in the mid card. WWE like misunderstand that all the time. It's like, oh, if you've got these magical powers, why are you not just magical power in your way to the main event and easily winning titles? It's like, no, I'm going to work. <laughs> I've got these powers that nobody else in the roster has got. And with them, I'm going to win the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> <laughs> the hard sell. So if anything, um, however far they go with Malachi Black's like abilities beyond the normal, you should probably beat Cody. And that kind of gives him a different path than a Lance Archer or more recently, you know, Gogo or like the, there has been others here and there. It might be sort of interesting to see how they build him off the back of that. I've got one more thing to say. I'm sorry. I told you I waffle. I've got like an inbuilt little admiration for the cheeky bastards who pitch supernatural stuff. Like, it's class, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't actually lose. Yeah. Oh, nice, uh, powers. Isn't it? Magical powers. Uh, if I'm like wanting to make some money and stay on the top of a card, I'm saying I'm bloody Satan. What's, what's your ring name? Satan. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? It's like Michael Scott when he's always got the gun and improv. <laughs> oh, I'm the devil! I'm the devil! Sauce! You can't beat me. Malachi Jarrett. Who was the wrestler recently that, like, there was a story doing around, wasn't there? Or it might have been, like, like, on a Conrad podcast or something, they just didn't name the name. But there was a wrestler that was apparently negotiating into his deal that if he lost, he got paid more. So he played a blinder because it was like, you can bury me every single week, but you got to pay me more or I've got to win. It's up to you. Yes. Inspired. 
Um, I guess it also brings to the point, like AEW just in general, every time there's been a crop of releases, obviously they pick some up because like, why wouldn't you? But at what point, A, does AEW kind of get full, their roster, and B, um, at what point does having all these new people come in, grapes, like new people, new faces on the TV, but how do you then rotate that without eventually hurting some of those people sort of long term like you've seen it sort of maybe with a, a Lance Archer he had his one on top and now he's slipped back down again and he's like not, not got a lot of direction of what's really going on or something like that yeah for me the ranking system which I would never ever abandon is kind of a cause and solution to problems deal you can't book Alistair Black Malachi Black most weeks because he has to win like he absolutely has to win. And if he wins, that matters. So he'd be in with a title shot and look who the top two singles men's champions are. Um, they are heels. And more to the point, when Miro gets defeated, it will be by a baby face. That is the correct story. That is the way wrestling functions. And you don't want to job that guy out immediately because they like doing lengthy title reigns. They have a lot of principles they like to uphold, but the more bloated the roster gets, you can have to have a real big test of how much those principles matter. So what matters more ultimately the booking principles or getting stars on TV and presenting them as winners and stars. Those two things at times, in my opinion, really can collide. Um, we've seen a lot of it recently with um, the TV this year. You just can't give too many people too many wins because it interferes. Um, you need that blend of grudge feuds and title pictures. And what's good about AEW is that they can book and they ask for input um, from their performers. And then you can really, like there are several grudge feuds I've seen in AEW that are fantastic. They don't need a title. So you don't have to wrestle every week to sort of interfere with that picture. That balance has been tested for me a little bit this year, but it, mostly it works just about fine. Yeah, this this sort of subject is typically like discussed in binaries and I don't think that can really apply. Don't use the word binaries on wrestle culture. You'll get pulled <laughs> off for not being banter enough. <laughs> like just the idea that at some point there's kind of a, a stop button on signing like released wrestlers or anybody that's out there. Like I, I'm hesitant to even say XWE released wrestlers that are in a free market to sign. Like there can't be a stop button because, and I think it's like Sidgwick, you said this about Malachi Black. If the guy's got a following then it's absolutely worth taking a chance because like in theory, all of that following comes with him. If some of that following weren't watching AEW, they will do to watch him and then they might stick around with AEW. So like you have to judge every single case on its own merits, whether it be because that wrestler's got a following, whether it's because you can speculate that that wrestler can get one, whether or not it's because they're doing something on Twitter or through pro wrestling tees or whatever it is that just appears. Matt Cardona seemed on paper the perfect signing. He was so great at marketing himself, but they briefly decided to weave him into storylines. It was a feeling and it just didn't feel that great. It didn't feel elite. So off he went. And you would like to think because he's friends with Cody and because that's how wrestling works. But I guess there was no hard feelings. Now Matt Cardona is going to have this death match with Nick Gage. Like how might that change his perception for a second time around and let that be fine too. Like try that Matt Cardona and maybe that's going to work. Maybe he comes in and he decks John Moxley because Moxley like talked about him on the internet for doing an impersonation, whatever, you know, like, and maybe you try again and somehow that gets over and you do that for a little bit. Lance Archer is the go-to example because he is a guy that was maybe at one point or another one win away from being this regular rotation top liner in AEW. And he perhaps never had that win. And then the only way has been down ever since not to be harsh or not to be brutal, but maybe AEW needs to like set a precedent I think like me and you, Sidgwick, talked about this a long time ago with Archer. Not that I'm picking on him because there's countless guys that this could apply to, but maybe they need to set a precedent of like, well, look, you've got like a one-year deal or a two-year deal. And if this isn't, you know, if you're not super hot by the end of two years, like it's not goodbye. It's just see you later. Go and make money. Like the, the door's open to New Japan, Impact. There's this relationship, you know, the, like call me anytime because there might be work for you. Even WWE, go, go and do WWE and you might make your millions. We're not going to just like slam the door shut on you. Like that's, that's probably the world they need to exist in. So the, the roster is sometimes feels too bloated, but address that both ways, release seven guys that are in that position and hire the one that you feel like you can take a chance on because they've shown themselves to have an audience. You know, I think like it'd be much nicer to have that back than what was happening a couple of years ago when WWE were just on mass 
signing sprees, and then last year where they had to go on crazy firing ones. I, I think like it's how re- all wrestling needs to function. Like it's how it's a territory model with two major organisations. But that's another principle. It's getting a bit deep here. I talk about God. I talk about <laughs> independent contractors who bump for a living. But it's another principle that AEW at some point might just have to tweak, abandon, whatever. They're the babyface promotion. They are, they market themselves as the babyface promotion. There's such tremendous good feeling that surrounds AEW because they are the babyface promotion. And there's probably a little bit of a reluctance to just outright release someone without the excuse. Oh, they're in England. They can't come over. Well, we've got pack over, but they don't count. In the case of like Sadie Gibbs and B Priestley, they got like away with that one PR wise. Like they might have to bite the bullet and let the odd guy go. Um, that all elite graphic is not a lifetime contract, is it? And that's yeah. an awkward thing at the moment that they maybe don't want to say out loud, but yeah. it's not necessarily forever, is it? Yeah, I think that's the thing with this as well. Like you say, when people get released and they go onto the independent scene and things like that, like we saw it like before AW with like Cody and Drew and things, they'd go out into the independent scene and they'd change their name that like take their name value from WWE and make a new name for themselves with new fans and like reinvent themselves on the independent scene but then when they did that they weren't in front of thousands and thousands of people on TV every week you can't really get released from WWE and then try out something new within AEW because obviously when you're trying out new things it's not always going to work and so you're not always going to become a Cody or become a Drew McIntyre or whatever just using those as, as, as an examples like you need that little bit of time away from the cameras to figure out what your next step is and who you are in this next thing. And then you go and deliver that to TV. So maybe you do need that little bit of time on the indies whenever the indies finally comes back. That'll yeah. help people hone their craft a little bit. Um, but speaking of people coming back, over on SmackDown, we went from Alistair Black on AW to Zelina Vega coming back on SmackDown in a big way, I guess, getting thrown into the Money in the Bank briefcase match because that's how they do it in the women's division on SmackDown. And then losing in about two minutes to Liv Morgan. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Uh, a very different debut to what Alistair Black was, or Malachi Black, sorry, on AEW. Uh, but what do you make of this then, Hamper? Well, it was piss poor and she knew it was. That's the thing. Like, it was piss poor and she knew it. Take a job. Like, I, I'm, I don't want to be another wrestling voice having a go at her for taking this role. Pay the bills, go and get your deal, all that sort of stuff. Sad that another wrestler has tried and ultimately failed to swim against the tide in terms of unionization and changing the contract status. It's a tale as old as time, unfortunately. How, so that I won't hold against her. She tweeted just hours after SmackDown. All you need to words the effect of all you need to know is I'm in the Money in the Bank briefcase match uh, and I'm back. That's all that matters. 
I, I, you have to say that because your match didn't and you lost. Like that was like it felt so oppressive putting a thumb on somebody that tried to speak out a few months ago. Even if it wasn't, it just had that proper nasty old school streak about it. Um, it wasn't for the betterment of the booking because they're obviously telling some idiotic story with Liv Morgan having to win 12 matches to get into a match that other people just get given the free pass to. It was like uninspired. The match was nothing to write home about. So already I think a lot of goodwill that people had built up about Zelina Vega was flushed. Like to compare the two, right? Husband and wife to compare the two. Uh, Malachi Black, a guy that is, I would say if anything, with a lot of like hardcores on wrestling Twitter, it kind of damaged his reputation with a lot of those Twitch streams appears in AEW and he's the headline story of a dynamite, not just any dynamite, the first dynamite with a crowd. And he's the headline story of this dynamite. His face is everywhere the next day. And it's all very much didn't see this one coming. There's a positive energy to the, the whole thing. Zelina Vega is one of several stories from a SmackDown. And when you do see her reported on, it's like, Oh Christ of WWE. Either. They've taken six months of anticipation and flushed it in two minutes. It was a piss take. And I'd, like I admire her going and getting the money. I think she was foolish to try and present this in any as anything other than a piss take. Best best just do it and maybe not mention that you're back. <laughs> because it clearly started a lot of other fires for her after the fact. It's uh, it's a strange one because we're talking about Alistair Black literally five minutes ago. We're talking about his creative possibilities, like where can he go from here? Who can he beat? Can he be a big star? Blah blah blah. blah. Zelina Vega said, well, you know, you can't ask those questions with Zelina Vega. She's got beaten two minutes. It just brings into focus when you cover these topics in succession, just how much one promotion matters and your investment in one promotion matters and how little it does in the other. I can't summon a single thought. Like, I, I just can't summon a single thought. Fair enough, make your money. Um, like, we all like to think we've got principles, but... Principles and actions are completely and utterly different thing. She just happens to be in the public face to have like laid witness to the fact that she's betrayed them. Who cares? Get some money in a, in a horrible industry that has historically underpaid its talent. If you can get any money out of them, why not just do that? And look, it was it spiteful that Vince McMahon booked it losing two minutes? Probably. It probably was. But at the end of the day... In WWE, unless you're in the top 3% of stars, you're probably going to get jobbed out in two minutes anyway. So, Especially if you're in a women's division in SmackDown, there's not a lot happening other than being jobbed out in a few minutes. <laughs> absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Um, look, I reckon that if she had floated something out to AEW and, or had waited, particularly with um, Andrade getting rehired, I reckon she could, she could, should, could have, she could have got a deal there. But maybe she just likes WWE. Maybe she just thought, I don't care. I don't care about Selena Vega. Since you thought that, are you? <laughs> you just don't care. <laughs> I just don't care. I just don't care. I mean, you know what? It's, it's quite difficult to do my job, and I don't really care about WWE at all. <laughs> I'm about not running out of ways to say how little I care about it. Um, look, I just <laughs> don't care. Career's ruined. She's probably... I mean, it might be a tragic story where she might think she could be a star. She's either ruthless and dispassionate and is looking after her own financial interests and those of her family. Absolutely fine. Or she's a fool. So I don't care either way. <laughs> either her career's ruined or, her, you know, she's a knacker who should have known better. She's either happy to have had a career ruined or she's an idiot who should have known better. Either way, it's difficult to sympathise. Mm. Well, speaking of should have known better, uh, Brandon Thurston has recently put out a big list of WWE pay-per-view matches and how many of them have been rematches. Now, he's gone through all of the pay-per-views from like Impact, AEW, WWE, NXT, and then looked at every single match on the card and seen if that match is a rematch that had happened from a match that had happened within the like prior 180 days to that pay-per-view. And got some interesting stats coming out of it in that WWE's um, pay-per-view schedule since the horror show at Extreme Rules last year has an average of 65% rematches. 
whereas AEW is 26%, obviously only from three different shows. Uh, Impact Wrestling, 38%. NXT, 31%. How much of a problem is this for WWE? The thing is, right, so it's it wasn't a surprise reading this, was it? Like, reading yeah. these numbers... Like, I love that... Just confirm suspicions more than anything else. Yeah, like, I love they were there, but it was like, oh, wow, like, now it's there in black and white, where it was just something we always kind of assumed in the past. Part of me was looking at this thinking, well, look, we've got to use our, like, modern big boy brains rather than the old one. WWE now is a television company that produces these pay-per-views, in inverted commas, as a matter of course, to keep the network. You know, they've like, this is the content era for them. Um their money is made from these ridiculous rights fees that Raw and SmackDown get. So though it's never happened with the booking, what we kind of need to view this through is through the idea that if they wanted to, they could have the setups happen on Sundays once a month and have the big matches happen on Mondays and Fridays because they're satisfying those paymasters. They've never switched the booking to reflect that, ever. They still book like it's 1998 and you must tune into, you know, Backlash or whatever this Sunday. But that's, like, if you were going to be generous to them, that's how they should look at it. And you were like, oh, maybe it's just a company-wide thing. However, that like goes away when you look at the NXT figures because NXT is still a show that books in the normal fashion and it's way, way, way down comparison. And that's a WWE product. Like Impact and AEW are charging people a premium rate for their pay-per-views. So it would stand to reason that they would try, they would hopefully charge their customers for stuff they haven't seen or versions of things they haven't seen. You know, like the Revolution main event, right? that's going to fall under where well, people have seen John Moxley versus Kenny Omega, but they hadn't seen an exploding bar by a death match. So that just off the top of my head, that's like a sort of an unfair statistic because it's like, well, they're not selling you on the combination of wrestlers. They're selling you on the combination yeah. of wrestlers plus this wild stipulation. WWE aren't necessarily doing that with some of their mid carders just fighting again. You know, they fought on the go home SmackDown. What's going to be different on Sunday? Like absolutely nothing. Um, so yeah, like NXT undermines that argument in WWE's favor because they're just network specials as well. You're not paying extra for NXT and yet the NXT stat mirrors the impact in AEW one. It's WWE mirrors that can't book ultimately. Like I wouldn't even care if those stats were wildly in favor of the TV matches, but they weren't happening on the pay-per-views. Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, Roman and Ray was a good example of that. Like it was weird that Roman and Ray was taken off a pay-per-view at the last minute, but I didn't care. It was like, oh, I'll watch it on a Friday instead of a Sunday. They've not done so much to make me invest in this that I'm suddenly, like, buzzed that it's on a Friday instead of a Sunday. I'll just watch it on a different night of the week. Nothing is getting me. It's like, to Cedric's point about WWE, nothing at the moment in the booking is getting me that excited that I care either way what day of the week it happens. And, like, that's all this is reflective of. I think a lot, in when stuff like this comes out, I think a lot about December to December 2006. And why I think about that show is because once upon a time, that show was so bad that it was just like the go-to for awful shows, for hideous booking, for lazy promotion, two matches in advance, and one of them was a disaster on the night. And then the rest looked like an episode of WWE, ECW on a pay-per-view that people were made to pay for. In the era of content and super service, like that looks like a half decent show because it's actually like delivered this big blockbuster main event and a half decent opener. Like compared to Thunderdome era WWE, it's like compared to Seth Rollins taking out Rey Mysterio's eye. I mean, it's a bad show, but it's not a criminally awful one. And this is just part of that. I was almost numb to like, oh yeah, yeah, there they are. Anyway, join us for the podcast review at 4am because we'll still be covering it. Like, I, I don't know, like I, WWE's ills, it's so hard to feel anything from because you're watching them happen week on week on week. There's six out of the last 12 WWE pay-per-views that all but one of the matches was a rematch. It's just an illustration of the fact that nothing in the book, there's no framework, there's no meaningful framework for any of this to exist. Like there's no point they've completely nullified any meaning in the titles the purpose of having a match in itself is just utterly pointless um i would just love to be in the writers room not being paid to be in it obviously and i would like you know just have access to security cam footage with audio that i could skip through um and i would just love to know whether they laugh at the idea of doing these things over and over and over again with Oh, what have we got this week? Well, who cares? There's no fans. 
who cares last week's rate and we didn't get bollocked off USA for it. So just do this, do this, do this. Like who honestly cares? I would like to know if that's the case or if they are all secretly casting glances to each other when the Mad King says, uh, Apollo and Biggie, you're going to have a match. Do like do the writers, when Vince says this, look at each other as if to say, like, again, <laughs> are they doing this again? Is there this sort of secret, uncomfortable feeling of, does he know what week it is? Like, does he even know what week it is? Is he demented? Like, legitimately. Um, or, so either they're laughing at the idea that they are just holding our investment and intelligence in contempt. Either there's this tacit, does he know, acknowledgement, or this is the funniest scenario. Do they think it's good? <laughs> What's the explanation? And the thing is, every conversation you have, and it makes this job so much more difficult than it needs to be, and it just inspires so much nihilism, all the answer is, oh, he's 75 and he's brain soup. <laughs> How can you analyse it? It's Nihilism's the word, you know, because we, all three of us, like, for work purposes, I will say, but, like, I know myself, I'd probably be watching, like, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, we cover them for work. So we watch we watch them all, right? Um, you see that spreadsheet come up today. It wasn't maddening, was it? I didn't look at that and be like, oh, he's been wasting my time for years. It's just like, oh, I know this. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't anger inducing in any way. It would, if it was, if it was against AWs, less so against Impact, because I, I can't pretend I've got like some huge emotional investment. I've got zero financial investment for the most part. But certainly with AW, like I'd be really annoyed if those stats were coming up for AW. I'd be like, they're screwing me. Like they're fooling me into thinking these pay-per-views are premium quality content, and they're not. But I, I couldn't summon that feeling for the WWE stats whatsoever. There's, it's gonna. This is gonna be a nice cheap plug for the um, Will Bond's interview with Everize that's gonna be coming out tomorrow on this podcast channel. Um, but there's like three things that they brought up in the podcast, I think, um, that just seem so like diametrically opposed to each other that they can't physically exist within the same company because it's they talk about. And I know that it's slightly different because it's not following main roster and their NXT and they weren't like massively up the card or anything like that. But they brought up, A, how detail-oriented they are as a company and how much they sort of nitpick on absolutely everything until they get things perfect. Like he was talking about a story about uh, Triple H working with people in NXT on their uh, entrances and things like that and like little things that he'd do to make something that sort of looked really good, look great kind of thing and like elevating people just through like nitpicking tiny little details. But then he also brought up a time when he was um, acting as security, I think in a Sasha Banks Hell in a Cell match. And they were told absolutely nothing about what to do before they go out on WWE pay-per-view in a pretty big spot. I think it was the first Hell in a Cell match, first female Hell in a Cell match. It's like a like pretty big spot on a WWE pay-per-view in this sort of huge match. And they were told absolutely nothing about what they had to do. And they had to figure out their own cue to go in. They had to figure out when they needed to get out and they needed to figure out what the hell they were doing in the first place while they were physically in the match. Uh, but then they also brought up um, how they how they sort of decided to sort of make themselves stand out within the NXT roster was they'd just grab their like social media team and the sort of web team and like, take them off to a different room and they'd work with a couple of writers, like you mentioned Dewey Foley and a couple of others that I can't remember the names of, work with them to create these little skits, get the web team to film, film them and then just get them up and kind of things. And that's how they originally made themselves stand out. So you've got this A company that's supposedly like really detail oriented and nitpicks things to like perfect them so much into tiny minuscule little details, but also won't give people any cues about what they're doing in a huge like pay-per-view match. And like seemingly the only way to get over is by going out of your out of their way and doing things on your own outside of the system. And then that still doesn't really work. And I, I don't quite know how that sort of nitpicking and lack of direction can work together in the same company. <laughs> Just the worst company. You're not rewarded, You're not rewarded with being a details guy. You get, you get fired. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. In their case. I mean, it's just uh, going back to Malachi Black. Yeah, I had um, certain colour lighting schemes to foreshadow who my next opponent was. They all wear different gear every week. 
<laughs> I don't know why I brought that point up. It's just uh, it's funny. Cesaro, Cesaro and May was wearing white, so I did. Uh, you know, he's wearing pink, so I had a pink uh, hue. Uh, next week he was wearing uh, orange, so there's no point. On uh, on Twitch last night, uh, my cat did a piss. That's how you know I was fighting Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, let's move on to the bloody good quiz. I've not got a five-star review for the quiz. I've not done anything. I wonder if I can actually figure this out. Wilbon's just, she's just better at this than me. <laughs> I, I spent the entire of last week putting him over to um, obscure my lack of preparation. <laughs> he sometimes finds one-star reviews to keep our egos in check as well, doesn't he? He does? Yeah, I do quite love those. Uh, like I've just found this. This is from uh, Jojo Nix, one star, purely for the hate of Big John. Don't know who hates John Cena on these podcasts, but we've been one star for it. That's that's the joke, yeah. Maybe me. I hate him. I'll I'll never ever forgive him. So this week's post, <laughs> this week's uh, I never give quiz. up, Cedric. Never give up. I'll hold the up. <laughs> on that note, this week's quiz is. Um, Dedicated to Dirty Shower Tray, who gave us a, a gl- glowing one-star review. <laughs> who says, had to unsubscribe. I used to enjoy this podcast, but was driven to unsubscribe by the embarrassing nonsense that Michael Sidgwick comes out with. He's such a raging feminist and socialist that he just can't help himself and has to inflect his socio-political rubbish into every show. It's a real shame because I like the other guys on the show, but I just can't listen to Sidgwick anymore. Good. Don't need you. I don't need a dickhead with those values listening to my podcast. Um, but I thought I'd do something a little bit different with the quiz. I will admit I completely ran out of time, so there's only eight questions. But still, I'm liking the idea. So I'm basically eight? Since... you can't even rip off ten. I know, right? <laughs> I ran out of time. What can I do? Jesus Christ! It's Wilbon. We need Wilbon back. What can I say? Um, so yeah, it's something a little bit different. So we're kind of testing. It's like you know, a little bit of the sort of marriage game because we've got like the the Dadleys here. It's how well does each Dadley know each other, and they're writing more to the point. So I've got four questions for each of you. So it's a little bit different. So we take it one at a time. And each person has to answer a question about the other person's articles. Oh, that's really oh. good. This could be this great. This is why I ran out of time because I was actually researching it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just so running out of time. So I just had to Oh, Phil, I'm sorry. After this, <laughs> Wilbon's going to be in the absolute sh- next week when he comes back. <laughs> like, potentially nailed two in a row here. He's going to like go on and steal some contributors quiz about the Iconics or something. <laughs> So question number one, and this is... Who said this? Kano, the Undertaker. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, rest in peace. Number two, (laughs) rest in pipes. (laughs) So yeah, question one. Who said this? No. Um, uh, So the first one, this one's for you, Hamlet. So this is all about Cedric. Uh, And about Cedric's first article for What Culture. Although technically it's his second article, so his first wrestling article, because his first article apparently was 10 must-see previous roles from new Twin Peaks residents. Nice. Very on brand, very on brand. Yes. Yes. So his first wrestling article was 10 wrestlers WWE could poach from New Japan next. But in this article, who did Sidgwick call a handsome chap? Was it A, Naito, B, Shibata, C, Tanahashi, or D, Okada? Handsome chap. See, I want to say Tanahashi, but Tanahashi's more fit rather than a handsome... No, I'll go... Hiroshi Tanahashi. It's not. Ah! Up on the sun. It was actually Shibata, the handsome chap. fancy Shibata, man. Ah, I didn't know. <laughs> Honestly, we were having a conversation um, in the office the other day. So it was me and Murray. So which wrestler would you shag? And I said Shibata. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There it is from 2016 and till today, still the same. <laughs> what is it about him? Good head, <laughs> great hair, great bod. Um, he's got an absolutely distracting bulge, <laughs> <laughs> and I just think he'd uh, you treat you wrong, you treat you right, however you want to be treated. <laughs> uh, so Cedric, this one's all about Hamlet, obviously. So, Hamlet's first article was eight times WWE went Scottish. You're 10, <laughs> you lazy <laughs> bastard. <laughs> uh, but which one did he list as number one on the list? Was it A, the Highlanders, B, Roddy Piper, C, Drew McIntyre, or D, 
That time Triple H dressed up as Braveheart. Braveheart's the most Scottish thing ever. So I'll go with Triple H dressing up as Braveheart. It wasn't. It was actually the Highlanders for some reason. Ah, oh, yeah, I thought that was the most patronizing of all things. It was because my what got me my job was that plus another couple of articles, including reviewing the tapings in Glasgow. So it was all part of a bit of a bundle of things when I first started. That's why. Some really I, uh, niche regional content. Yeah, it was, just, it was just, just the off chance Murray thought, like, heard this and thought it was absolutely anything to do with him on this of all weekends. I can't give him that. Um, so back over to Hamlet, this one's for you. So the second okay. question about Cedric. Um, so Cedric had an article up about his 10 favourite wrestling matches. And this was back in 2016 as well. It's completely changed just Ooh, so much. Yeah. <laughs> So, back in 2016, what did Cedric list as his favourite wrestling match ever? Is it A, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada at New Japan King of Pro Wrestling from 2013? He loves that match. He loves that match. Is it B, Mitsuhara Misawa versus Kenta Kabashi at All Japan Pro Wrestling New Year Giant Series 97? Oh, he loves that match. Uh, was it C, Mitsuhara Misawa and Kenta Kobashi versus uh, Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tao at All Japan Pro Wrestling Budokan Hall show from 1995? He sent me that to get me into All Japan. <laughs> or was it D, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13? I mean, that's the right answer. Um, <laughs> uh, it's one of them arguments about what's the best versus what's your favourite. Um I'm going to go with the um, Tanahashi Okada from 2013. It was not. Ah! It was Masawa versus ah! Kenta Kobashi. Yeah, it's not there anymore, number one. Uh, what isn't. took over? Uh, Okada Omega 4. Nah, fair. <laughs> yeah, that predates uh, Okada Omega 1, doesn't it, I guess? so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the entire world of wrestling changed since I read that <laughs> article. Uh, so back over to Cedric. Um, so yeah, Hamper's second article from What Culture was indeed 10 live observations from Glasgow's WWE TV tapings. But how many times in this article did he reference his first article? <laughs> 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 was it two, three, four, or five? You lots of content. <laughs> That's just paid per click. Check this. The options. Click through. Two, three, four, or five. Hey, Hamlet is eager to please like. I'll give him that. I'm going to go with five. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. It was just three times he referenced his first <laughs> Two times too many. <laughs> Deeply unhappy in my job at the time. <laughs> click, click me out of one profession and into another, please. <laughs> and they did. And they did. God, they um, <laughs> So, Hamlet, going back to Sidgwick's uh, top 10 favourite matches from 2016, how many of those matches were WWE matches? Two, three, four, or five, again. Okay, I can give you something now. Not one of our current top 10 has got a WWE match in it. <laughs> Pauling. Bretton Austin doesn't make your top 10. It's been bad. Back then... I remember hilariously, I think it might have been a year after this, he did like 10 best matches of the year and left out anything from WWE, partly just as a needle. I can't even remember, <laughs> I can't remember if there's anything worthy, but it was just like, it's a piss off. Like, <laughs> um, Bretton Austin was in there, we know this. Mm -hmm. He might have been kinder to Sean and The Undertaker back then. And Bretton Owen is Bretton Owen, so I'm going to say three. It's actually four, Ooh. incredibly. Listed as Bretton Owen, WrestleMania oh. 10. Uh, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania wow. 21. Wouldn't have called that. And CM Punk versus Daniel Bryan at Over the Limit 25. <laughs> That'd be my top 200 now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, still late in, will you? <laughs> I mean, it's a great match. Yeah, it is good. Uh, I mean, uh, Brian's on my Rushmore. Sean and Angle. I didn't think that would be your cup of tea at all. What I loved about that match is that Sean, I tried to amateur wrestle him, and he wasn't amateur wrestler in high school. 
the little departure to Observer Radio, because that's something that he says about every other wrestler. <laughs> Try to amateur wrestle them. Like, what a perfect A, Sean thing to do, knob, and B, what a perfect thing to get Kurt Angle being the best version of Kurt Angle, tremendously intensely pissed off. <laughs> Furious that he tried. It was class. He just beat the shit out of him after that. He put him over as well, didn't he? Like, Sean didn't put him over all the way. Honestly, little anecdote about that match. I think one of the reasons why it resonates with me so much, um, because, like, Sean's stuff for me is the best. But I have to watch it again to be reminded of why he's that good, because of Shawn Michaels. Um, it made me think, genuinely, this match makes me think that there is actually a way out of pro wrestling via pro wrestling. And what I mean by that is, people think, oh, they're not, you don't really see any tits anymore, do you? It's <laughs> <laughs> really wrestling, I see the table's tits all the time. Yeah, it's just that. <laughs> they don't really see that. So I think, is that what this is? The, the thing that I like the most, is that what it is to these people? And that match, I went round to my uh, uni mate's house, about eight lads, I still watched it off, off and on during that period, but nobody else did. And I just thought, should we watch WrestleMania? And I swear to God, an actually incredible pro wrestling match had eight lads, seven of which had given up on it since 2001, just completely going ballistic about every near fall, every moment that they wanted you to go mad for in that match, that eight non-fans, essentially, seven non-fans going ballistic. And I thought, that's the magic of this. Just like... Funnily enough, like anecdotally, obviously, I had the exact same experience at WrestleMania, like same age, same sort of year at uni at the time. Uh, same thing. I was watching, but nobody else was. There must have been something to the Cena and Batista hook that drew that big number. And yeah. had something, because you're right, like it's one thing to say, should we watch WrestleMania? But there's got to be just more than like, the name WrestleMania. The show drew a massive number. And I wonder how many people were like, maybe these are something to watch. They all disappeared again, probably by me. But yeah. like, there was definitely a buzz for both of them too. Yeah. Like, ending. Um, so yeah, next question. Back over to Sidric, all about Hamlet. So Hamlet's third article on the site was 10 WWE authority figures who weren't actually all bad. <laughs> um, but within it, who did he call a good egg these days? Ooh. Is it A, Stephanie McMahon, B, William Regal, C, Shane McMahon, or D, Teddy Long? Well, I remember bollocking Hamlet once for having the temerity to like Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> I think he didn't like it. I just said it was an effective TV character or like good, whatever. I remember telling him off. Um, <laughs> don't say Stephanie McMahon. Is that your answer? Yeah. It wasn't Stephanie McMahon. It was actually Shane McMahon is a good egg these days. I think, yeah, I think that was probably an in-character at late 2016. Smackdown it was, was late 2016. Yeah. was great. He was like stepping back a lot. He wasn't, he wasn't being very Shane McMahon about it. Like that yes. changed. That changed my Survivor Series when he put himself on the team. Yes. <laughs> found the perfect guy. <laughs> this guy. He's got two thumbs and is the perfect guy. <laughs> this guy. Uh, so it's nil-nil so far, and both of you don't know anything about the other one. Uh, I have lost the quiz by virtue of that clicks question. <laughs> my other stuff. Uh, but you've got one question each left, so it's, it's all to play for. Um, so back over to you, Hamlet. Um, so, Sidgwick, in 2019, made it onto Reddit. This is November 2019. He made it onto a Reddit for an article that he wrote. But why? What was, what was the reason in the title? Was it because he was being an AEW shill? Was it because he was being biased against WWE? Was it because he was a faux journalist, in inverted commas? Or was it because uh, he wrote the most ass-kicking article, ass-kissing article of the decade? <laughs> Oh, God. Um, when was this, sorry? November I've got the idea. I've been looking it up. Oh, when was it, sorry? 19, November 2019. November 2019. Oh, I know the article now. I haven't seen the Reddit thing, and I never will, but I know the article. <laughs> we These were all legitimate comments from the Reddit, but only one of, of them was listed in the title. Right. We had... Um, Polite that sometimes border on impolite because Will Bourne had us on strings. Disagreements about the format of AEW Dynamite in those early days. But it was such a fan. I'm going to go with that awful last one, that like really core sticky Reddit type. What was it like the biggest ass kisser or something? Yeah. I'll go, go with that. That, one. that is correct. <laughs> it was. 
how AEW perfected pro wrestling storytelling, and it was called the most ass-kissing article of the decade on Reddit. <laughs> the decade is as a, just a crime. <laughs> like the, I love that. I love that. That's a really hyperbolic title. I really don't like that. <laughs> I really don't like the hyperbolic title. So what I'm going to do is do the exact same thing oh, you stupid tits. <laughs> what are you using hyperbolic to say? Get people to pay attention. Hate spread circle, man. Stupid bunch of absolute basement dwelling virgins. You having that? You having that? That's what you are. Most ass kissing um, podcast <laughs> of the decade. <laughs> They're the single most suggestible group of people I've ever heard in my entire life. Stupid marks when one wrestler will say one thing and it gets on to a Reddit thread. They'll go, yeah, yeah. Saying that for ages. Saying that for ages. They're just making it onto oh, Reddit again tomorrow, there. it seems. Original <laughs> thought in your stupid head. <laughs> uh, so, Sidgwick, to tie it all up with the final question, Hamlet's sixth article he ever wrote was 10 Dream Goldberg matches in WWE and how to book them. Uh, but who did he list as the number one Dream Goldberg match? So this is back in 2016 again. Was it A, Kevin Owens, B, Roman Reigns, C, Braun Strowman, or D, The Undertaker? This is my answer, but I hope it's The Undertaker. Um, when was it published, you know? Uh, 2016, I can probably find Most out. I'd have been chasing those Survivor Series clicks, so it would have been oh, right. Why, why, why? Uh, Let's go with The Undertaker. November, because, yeah, yeah, November 2016. Let's go with The Undertaker because it's the funniest one in retrospect. It was The Undertaker. Slave to the pin thumbnail, wasn't I? <laughs> uh, so we end it on one all for both of you. I've kind of got a tiebreaker, I guess, that I've just made up. Um, but <laughs> uh, I guess the question goes out to both of you. I don't, um, which, which of you had the highest read article of last year between the two of you? 2020. 2020. Ooh, it was a desert for the content. <laughs> uh, oh, actually. I, I think I had a big hit about I cannot remember if it was last year or back end of 2019. I think it might have been Sidgwick. I couldn't tell you what the piece was. Let's go with me. Um, I agree. Was it a ranking everything from 1990 to 2020? It was a ranking everything <laughs> from 1990 to 2020. It was ranking who was really the man in every wrestling year. So, uh, yeah. but I saw that first, so that means I win the quiz. Yeah, so Hamper wins the quiz. It's very literally the real quiz. wins the clicks. I won the content. <laughs> I won the mums. <laughs> and that was the how I well do you know your good. dadly quiz. <laughs> Enjoyed that. That was good, Phil, but really good. Thank you very much. It, it was of a standard. You've uh, you put Wilborn under the gun a little bit for next week. And yeah, you'll probably well. be on this podcast, so you can tell him that as well. <laughs> I also have, like, no more ideas, so that's it. I need to get out of this now on top. <laughs> it's coming home, Wilborn, and by it, we mean chickens and to roost. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, on that note, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcast from. And head over to Twitter and give us all a follow because you can follow our quiz winner, Michael Hamflet, at Michael Hamflet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at Wade. All right. Do you want to know what one of the topics of uh, discussion in said perfected wrestling storytelling article was? Legit. Legitimately. Oh, isn't it great? how the defeats suffered by Hangman Page and Kenny Omega meant something, right? <laughs> and they formed a tag team in a bid to redeem themselves, but they still don't get along that well personally. Ah, and what's, what's the latest thread going around? <laughs> Is, it? Is it Reddit? Is it? Who's the man? Eh? <laughs> Who did a thread? I am! <laughs> um, yeah, you can follow him. Um, M. Sujik, he's gone now. And you can follow me at Phil My Chambers. Um, thank you very much for watching. We've got an Everise uh, for watching, for listening, and we've got an Everise interview coming up tomorrow. Give it a listen because they are just some bloody good lads, and it's a really fun interview as well. Uh, and make sure you go over to their YouTube channel and give it a quick subscribe because they're very entertaining. 
Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.